Welcome to the Reunion Belleville podcast, a place where everyday people apprentice to Jesus. We're glad you pulled up a seat and we hope that today's lead-in encourages you to take your next step. All right, good morning, everybody. It is Monday morning, and so I'm in my office and my kids, you're going to hear them running around getting ready for school, but I wanted to get this podcast up and ready for you so that people attending our tables could be prepared. And so yesterday, uh, we discussed Lent. You see, Lent is this 40-day journey towards the cross and the passion of Christ. Tuesdays, uh, this past Tuesday, sorry, we invited people to come to our house for Pancake or Shrove Tuesday, and a few of you came over for dinner. And we absolutely love gatherings and our home and certainly in your homes because they give us opportunities to learn about each other. We get to see the stress and the fuss and the mess and the noise of life together. And there's times as much as I wish I could uh, hide things from you, right? Like it was kind of funny because the kids were doing what the kids do and they were slamming some doors. And I always get worried that somebody's finger is going to get snapped. So I was sitting on the couch yelling upstairs, like stop slamming the doors. And so they wasn't stopping. And so Katrina got up and she walked up to talk to them. Different parenting styles. I was sitting there yelling and she was more, hey, let's just go in and be present in the space. (laughs) Great opportunity to learn. Um, But I loved it because, again, we get to see each other and how we're acting and get to see the authentic self that we just don't get to see on a Sunday morning. But we also get to see these really cool moments of joy and peace and connection. And one of the things that we've been noticing lately, or at least I have been, is how Chris and Cater are teaching Ben. And so Ben's this little this little toddler who's just bombing around, or trying to learn how to bomb around. He's just getting his legs under him. And I love watching them learn or teach him how to walk because they're not giving him lectures. They're not giving him a seminar and certainly point by point. Um, processes on this is what you got to do and this is how it happens. No, because walking is what? It's a full body experience. In fact, it's a body first experience. And so as he's learning to walk, as he's trying to find his legs, there's, there's these moments, right, of frustration. There's moments of confusion and there's these looks that he gives his parents of like, why did that happen? And certainly when he gets hurt, he's like, why didn't you warn me? And as a parent, I think the answer is simple. There's some things you can only learn by, by doing. You see, we can talk all day, but real growth only happens when we try it. And that makes sense when we're talking about walking, right? It totally makes sense. And here at Reunion, we call ourselves apprentices to Jesus because for many, church has just been a place to listen to lectures and information. Church is a lot of talking. And don't get me wrong, there's obviously important moments of instruction, but just as we learn to walk, This way of living with Jesus as apprentices is a completely new way of living and moving around life. So if you've been with us for a few years or certainly just a few moments, it's important to know that our life with Christ requires requires some doing. Following Jesus is like walking a full body experience because apprentices learn the way of their teachers, but they also apply the practices of their teachers. And again, this makes total sense when it comes to us learning how to walk or ride a bike or plow a field or cut vegetables with our kids, right? All the teaching in the world only gets us halfway. You have to apply it. And I can't speak for you, but when it comes to Jesus, halfway isn't enough for me. All the teachings and readings and sermons and songs are great, but when I read the story and I encounter the Spirit, I sense that there's more and I can't speak for you, but I want it. I want to be an apprentice of Jesus who experiences the life Jesus promises 
And it means that we're going to listen to Jesus. We're going to learn. We're going to talk and teach. But it's going to mean that we're going to have to apply it. We're going to have to try it. There will be moments of frustration. There's going to be moments of confusion and for sure failure. There's going to be looks of why did that happen or why didn't you warn me? And as your pastor and as a community, I hope we can look at each other and say, hey, there's some things you can only learn by doing. We can talk all day long, but real growth only happens when we try it. So for the next 36 days of Lent, we're going to try to practice. uh, We're going to try a practice story from the life of Jesus, his ancient faith in the early church. In fact, this practice just might prepare us for this next season as a church and certainly these next seasons as a region because who else is looking forward to patio season? Who's looking forward to the county wine tours, beer tours, food tours? People come here from all over the place to eat away their vacation. In 2021, Stats Canada said that 36% of Canadians are overweight. I don't know what that number means, but I think the math is still out on the long-term effects of lockdowns and working from home. I think consumption stats on food, booze, streaming services, and Amazon orders indicate that we no longer know the difference between appetite and hunger. I used to pack a healthy lunch, for example, and head to work, and now I roll it a bit at work, and the fridge and the pantry are readily available to me, even though the simple task of walking is less and less so. Pair the Western culture's obsession with indulgence, with these new realities, and I think the way of Jesus might be good news because the way of Jesus invites us, assumes, and therefore, yes, even challenges us to, here's the big word, to fast. When I say fasting, when associated to Lent, you say, well, let's be serious. Most people say like social media, TV, sex, drinking, because as much as we know the original intent was fasting from food, we like to avoid it unless it's for the purposes of detoxing or trimming down. It's trendy to fast from food when it's about your body, but friends, today and for the rest of this season of Lent, I hope that our, that we begin to understand, sorry, that we're told to fast for the sake of our bodies and our souls together. That's right. Fasting isn't just about your body, but also your soul and how together these parts of one being might live in unison. And if they do, I believe this will lead to freedom, renewal, and wholeness dare I say, holiness. Which means I need to address something really important right away. The church has a pretty messy history with the body. Single verses or at least sections of scripture have been pulled out of context. Paul absolutely urges us to see our flesh as sinful in regards, in regards to temptations, because let's be serious. Our bodies sometimes want, crave, and dictate what it doesn't necessarily need. Like I said before, we live in an unhealthy culture that Uh, that mistakes appetite for hunger. Should we give in to every appetite our bodies desire in the moment? No. But should we totally ignore the body's desires and hungers viewing them as entirely sinful? Absolutely not. And so I hope that today you'll, you'll be able to begin to understand that this was not Jesus' understanding. But in order to help us grasp the type of fast Jesus understood, let's go all the way back to the beginning of Jesus' ancient faith. In fact, In the beginning, the story tells us, in Genesis 1.27, God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. In this little verse, we gain so much insight into God's point of view for humanity. We read that humankind are images, or what the Greek refers to as an icon, meaning likeness or, better yet, reflection. Icon. I love it, because this can be amazing news. 
Think, for example, in many cultures around the world, that when we have a God, we like to see the God, right? Like we want to be able to see it. That's a part of our physical desires. We have a vision and we want to be able to, to, to just put something to it. Let's put some, some flesh on this thing. And so they'll grab a piece of wood and or a piece of stone and they'll carve an image and the likeness of what they believe their God could look like. And then that, that, that icon or that idol is, is, is prayed over. And so then the, the, the spiritual leader or the religious leader will then pray over this, this icon. And they believe that during this process that their God will actually touch or anoint that image or that icon with its presence. And now once that has taken place, they will take the icon and they'll place it in a garden to be worshipped. Sound like our story a little bit? Absolutely it does. But our story has some major differences in that our story... God creates his own icons, not carved out of wood, but made from the soil and the spirit. If you go back further in the beginning, it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he said it was, it was good. And so God is creating light. That is good. God creates darkness and, or there is darkness and that is good. God creates uh, the soil and the land and that is good. God creates water and that is good. And so from the very beginning, we see that God's material. The building blocks of your body are good. At your core, you are not totally deprived. You are good because you're made from God's good creation. And then you are filled or you are anointed with the Spirit. And we would assume, or we do assume, we know. We don't assume, sorry. My experience is that absolutely 100% the Spirit of God is, is good. And so you are made from both good building blocks of God's material, and then also God's spirit. But I love this next part because God's anointing isn't just a touch. God doesn't just touch his beings. He breathes into them. And so this the Ruach of God is this life-giving and sustaining, indwelling connection to God. What happens? We come alive. And the response is that we're certainly not placed in a garden to simply be seen. Adam and Eve are put in the garden not to just be seen, no, humanity under the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit is brought to live in the garden as reflections of God, working alongside God by producing, caring for, and even protecting the garden, our world. I love this. And I think the implications are huge if this is true because humanity is to be extensions, reflections, and images of God right here on earth. All of humanity was created for this purpose to be icons, reflections, and connections to God. This is a big deal because therefore, if this is true, all of humanity is therefore sacred. Every single person is set apart and intended to be revered as holy, not because they believe what I believe, but because they were created like I was by God. In religion, as icons are fiercely protected, right? There's often these, these things around them, so you can't get close and you can't touch them. So maybe some of the first big questions we need to ask ourselves as Christians and apprentices of Jesus is, do we really value the life of all humanity? Do we value our neighbors? Do we value uh, the strangers on the street? Do we value our coworkers? Do we value our enemies? And what might it cost us to protect, stand up for, and even defend everyone? Not just some, but the rights of everyone the health of everyone, the well-being of everyone. 
Do we view our lives as extensions and reflections of the ongoing work and presence of God among us? Or do we go about our own little gardens? <laughs> Listen, we could get into a whole bunch of stuff here, and I hope we do in our breakouts, in our tables this week. But I would argue that we don't because, at least for one reason, most Christians do not view themselves as a unified being that includes both body and soul. I wanted to start this week discussing the significance of fasting in regards to our bodies and God's original connection of body and spirit because, as I've said already, many of us have been brought up in the church and formed by our culture to see our bodies as anything but sacred. In fact, Scott McKnight says that we've been formed to believe that our bodies are monsters to be conquered, a celebrity to be celebrated, a concubine to be filled, or a wallflower to be ignored. We're going to discuss these different terms in our our tables this week, but I believe that we have a broken relationship with fasting partially because we have a broken relationship with our bodies. The complete story of God or the biblical narrative in regards to yourself is a unified body and spirit. You cannot be one without the other and therefore you certainly cannot find a proper sense of identity, worth, and therefore peace when we separate the two. Fasting is a response to this revelation, a natural rhythm of reconciliation, and I would even argue rebellion in a culture of bad body image. Fasting is not a means to an end, as we'll discuss next week, but the beginning and ongoing connection and conversation between your body and your soul, finding a unified voice. So this week, I want to encourage your body and your spirit to begin talking. Next week, we're going to dig into more of the purposes and different types of fast. And of course, we're going to look at Jesus. But this morning, let's start in the beginning. You were created as an icon of God from the dust of the ground and the spirit of God. You're both body and soul. And so your body is good. Your soul is good. And when unified, you are sacred. Your body's desires, cravings, hungers, and thirst are not at all bad, but quite often normal, healthy, and an opportunity for your united self to experience God, yourself, others, and our world in a sacred gathering or experience or event. So our growth opportunity this week is to simply open up the conversation by starting a simple fast. When Jesus says, when you fast, he's referring to the regular weekly fast that he and his family and the apprentices would have participated in. This fast typically would go from Thursday night. So they'd have dinner and they would on Thursday night and then they would not eat again until they had Shabbat, the Sabbath feast, um, 24 hours later, 24 hours later, overnight. And so this is the kind of fast that Kristen and I are going to do during Lent and one that will invite you to join. But here's some important notes as we begin. First, here at Reunion, we're not super legalistic, you know that. We'd like to say we're not legalistic at all because we don't believe that spiritual disciplines are about solidifying your relationship with God, that somehow it puts you in good standing. Fasting is not a means to an end, but a reflection or reaction, sorry. It's not a means to an end, but a reaction to a moment. This week, as I was refocusing on the reality of my unified or intended unified self, body and soul. I have to confess, sometimes my body does most of the the driving in this relationship. I do speak a lot from my spirit, but when it comes to action, my body does a lot of the dictating. And so I want to see balance and unity. Fasting is a response to that realized disconnection. Therefore, God does not love, include you, or anoint you because you can, but because you're His. 
Fasting doesn't prove anything. Fasting is just a chance to experience what already is. Second thing, don't get hung up on that you got to do this or it must look a certain way because simply some of you can't because of medical reasons, breastfeeding, and your stage in life. We got a number of young moms in our, in our crew who are just running around chasing their toddlers all day and some dads as well. And so the idea of taking a meal off when you're just f- trying to struggle to find time to eat already, beautiful idea. Maybe it's just not a time where you can do this. We'll discuss again what the difference is between fasting and abstaining. So maybe this is a season where you have to intentionally say no to fasting so you can intentionally say no to abstaining. Or as somebody already said yesterday, um, maybe it's an opportunity where you actually care for your body. I love that comment that maybe this is an opportunity as as young parents where you can say, okay, like this isn't just about me taking care of my kids. It's about me taking care of myself. And so I want to intentionally spend this season praying and eating. Really interesting. I love it. The third thing, fasting highlights our need for grace because you're going to want to quit. In fact, I'm participating in this Catholic Lent journey and Mark Wahlberg was teaching on fasting on Friday and he said that when you want to quit, good. Let that be a reminder to ask for God's help. Every time you crave a soda, good. Let that remind you that it's God's thirst for you. Every time you hunger, good. Raise your heart to God and remember that we do not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. When this is incredibly good news. When you want to quit, when you are hungry, we're really pulling out our we're really pulling out and realizing our need for God. We can actually see that we can depend, I hope, as you pray and you rely on God, that you'll give them the, God the opportunity to prove that he's dependable, that they are dependable. Our weakness is a reminder of God's strength, God's presence, and yes, God's grace. Fourth, fasting from food and just going about your life like it's almost normal, taking advantage of work during lunch is not the point. I've done this in the past. I've tried fasting and before you know it, I'm using my lunch breaks as an opportunity just to hammer out some more work. And that's not the point. Stopping from work or stopping um, during my lunch break, even when I'm not eating, is an opportunity. It gives us more space and time to connect to God. And so if you're going to participate in the fast that Kristen and I are going to, when you wake up, instead of having breakfast, spend five to ten minutes when you would be eating instead connecting to God. Gives you another opportunity to pause This can be another spiritual discipline you could introduce. It could be silence where you just want to listen to your body. You want to listen to your soul and you want to listen for God's voice. Don't just go about your day cramming in more stuff because you have more time because you're not eating. That's not the point. It's an opportunity for us to connect as a group. The fifth thing, and this is really personal for me, um, but I'm going to offer it to you anyways. And I'm going to just give you some examples of some body image breath prayers. Because for many, and as you just said, myself included, I've got a bit of a broken body image. So this is a reminder. These breath prayers are a reminder that my body is good. And my body is sacred. My body is holy. I want to be honest and say that that's a bit of a mental hurdle for me. Praying the Spirit's truth over my body is simply a way to invite and welcome healing. So I'm going to pray these breath prayers with my hands open. Because I need God to touch me in this area. That my body is good. My body is holy. My body is sacred. And so thank you, Lord. My body is good. Thank you, Lord. My body is sacred. Now, for some, this is going to seem funny, but for some of us here this morning and from listening this morning, sorry, and for some of you yesterday, this might be a really transformative prayer. Just a simple inviting up 
inviting ourselves open to the work of the Holy Spirit to speak over our bodies and to heal and to bring wholeness. Which brings us to this last part. Listen. That's right. As you spend some time fasting and praying and meditating, I want you to listen. Be aware during the day. Because at the end of this journey in April, we're going to get together. We're going to have a fun event. We're going to have a bunch of papers all over the church and we're going to tack them up on the wall and we're going to ask the question. (coughs) During Lent, what did you learn about God? What did you learn about our church? What did you learn about our city? And when we say learn, it doesn't just mean what did you learn through these teachings, but what are you seeing? What are you experiencing? Uh, What stood out to you? And so maybe make a note on your phone so that when you're going about your day and something pops out, you can immediately jot it down. Or maybe you're somebody who can just do that when you go to bed. But we would love for you to journal what you're learning as you listen and you pay attention during this season. It's going to affect and direct what we do as a church moving forward. Uh, There's going to be moments of frustration, moments of confusion, and of course, failure. There's going to be. Absolutely. This is not going to be easy. It's It's not supposed to be. We're learning to do something. So when you have moments of, why did that happen? Or, why didn't you warn me? As your pastor... And certainly, um, as we gather around our tables, I hope we can remind each other, there's some things you can only learn by doing. You were created to be a whole being, both body and soul, united and connected to yourself and to God. And I pray this season will bring wholeness to you. What is God saying to you this morning and how are you going to respond? Thank you for listening to today's lead-in. We pray that you were able to learn something about Jesus today, but equally important, we pray that you sense a step you might take in response. What would it look like for you to live with Jesus today in light of our discussion? You can learn more about our community at www.reunionbelleville.com, and we're always here to walk with you.